Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And, and everything's coming up Ackham. This week we're sponsored uh, by, let's see. Two pandas at a zoo. Two pandas at a zoo. We're sponsored by uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film, <laughs> Rabbi P.I. Um, it's a story of a Chicago <laughs> cop who goes undercover as a Hasidic Jew. Ah. Yeah. Have uh, a Nagila, baby. Have a Nagila. <laughs> uh, because I love you people, I won't make you watch the musical number. Okay, maybe Just a, a little. little bit. <laughs> dreidel. I won't. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> dreidel, dreidel. Okay, I've already embarrassed myself enough. Uh, I'm very excited about this totally normal episode of our podcast. Mm-hmm. No one is confused as they're driving down the highway. <laughs> <laughs> no one's jumping out of Swerving windows. Swerving into, no, no. And then jumping into a hedge and then having that hedge. I don't know. If I can jump in just on the Absolutely. Schwarzenegger cartoon, I'm L. Jean. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Who is this? Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> That's what usually what people say when they hear me talk. I'm yes. Okay, I'm, I'm this nerd. No, but uh, when Schwarzenegger saw that cartoon, they, what he heard, he said, is, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Was he a good, wait, it wasn't, obviously, it wasn't his voice doing it. It was, um... Not his voice. It was a Nick Jameson, one of the voice, multiple voice actors that we had on the show. Oh, right. Uh, but he was a good sport about it because he never sued us. So That's great. Uh, yeah. I love not being sued. <laughs> yeah. That's, like the, that's my bar. Not being sued by someone puts the A-OK <laughs> in by a book. <laughs> um, well, I guess, I mean, that jumps into, you know, the discussion of, well, where do we start? We're talking about The Critic. Yes. Uh, yeah. So you you heard his voice already, but if you somehow missed it because you were jumping back into your car, uh, mm-hmm. we are joined today by Al Jean. <laughs> uh, this is very exciting. Obviously, um, if you listen to the show, you're clearly a, a Simpsons fan, mm-hmm. uh, and we talk a lot about the Simpsons. Frankly, too much. Yeah. And although we'll be peppering in some Simpsons trivia and and and. Uh, you know, tidbits into this conversation. Today, uh, we are focusing primarily on the critic um, because we are joined by the co-creator, uh, obviously Mike Reese, who we've had on the show mm-hmm. very recently, who just had his new book come out. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> writing partner to uh, Al. And uh, Julia and I are both very big fans of the critic. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't come up as much as you would think on the Simpsons podcast, aside from when we did the Stars Burns. But that's all changing now, baby. <laughs> it's all changing now. It's going to be gonna... half Sims, half critic every day, all day, and I don't care. And we'll go over. I know there are only a handful of episodes between two seasons, but we'll retread. Yes, we will. Also, if you want to listen to me talk about The Simpsons, there's only 100 hours. (laughs) Right. But I want it now. (laughs) And more coming. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on our show and, you know, talking about uh, this show, which uh, I I know is beloved by so many uh, people. And it's really a, a cult hit in that way. And so. So, you know, it, this is such a treat. Yeah. And uh, I, just really quickly, just to uh, kind of get an idea of, of the host side of things. Julia, when did you get into The Critic? Um, I mean, when it came out. I was a kid. What was it, 94? 94 on ABC. Yeah. So, um, one, on one of our episodes, by the way, was up against Tanya Harding versus Nancy Kerrigan. Oh, my <laughs> actual, God, really? Yeah, the thing that was watched by everyone in the world, but we were going, no, watch The Critic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can I share a very, like, child logic story with you? Sure. Um, so I remember I had a vague understanding of how Hollywood worked at a, at a very young age, uh, mostly because I grew up here. But still, like, it was seen through the lens of Kid Logic. So The Critic comes out in 94. I watched the first season. Then the 94 earthquake hit. 
And for some reason, and then shortly after it was canceled, kind of in the timeline, for some reason my kid brain made me think, oh, the 94 earthquake caused such destruction to the place where they make the critic that that's the reason why there are no more episodes. <laughs> and at, I thought this Roman, for years. At Film Roman Studios that year, they said the second worst disaster of their season was, was the earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> so, I know. Yeah, I think I heard that. I was reading the trades even as a young kid. So I have another sense. ironic critic story, which was we were working on a critic during the famous OJ car chase, which was 94. Uh-huh. And so we were looking at the office windows and Sony and the helicopters come by. It's like Apocalypse Now, like 30 helicopters. Mm-hmm. And then we realized they're going to go around the 405. So we had a big stand-up critic. We wanted to run to the 405 overpass and <laughs> say, watch the critic <laughs> in the middle of the car chase. And I've always That's regretted amazing. we didn't do that. Oh, God, that would have been so great. And then it would have been immortalized in Ryan Murphy's show. I know. They would have had to. And we would have had like three more viewers. <laughs> lasted for hey. four more networks. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah Every great. bit counts. I should, I should I should say John Lovitz has a rendition of the critic theme, and it goes, "Shooby dooby dooby, canceled." <laughs> what was it like working with him? Because you guys worked with him a lot on The Simpsons, and he seems like a good sport. He's exactly like what you think, and mm-hmm. um, we did the the stupidest thing anybody ever did. We wrote a pilot that could only be done by John Lovitz before he agreed to do it. <laughs> so we showed it to him, and he's like, "Well, I don't know. I'm very busy." Mm-hmm. And uh, we realized, hey, if we made it animated, we could get him to do it. Well, at that time, he was doing City Slicker in a lot of movies and so he did that and um it was a real pleasure the only little oddity is that um i'm not gay though i would love to be gay it's a great thing but uh john always would call mike and me gay (laughs) (laughs) and he would sing it into the tracks and i'd always think like this is going to get out like you know and and so then i'm in beverly hills with my daughter who's like three and john's driving by and he goes hey it's gay al jean (laughs) 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 so that's what looking at john lovitz is like yeah i kind of love that actually i i have met john lovitz once and it was a very odd uh thing where I was basically like looking for any type of temp job I could get and I was hired to uh make sure that uh John Lovitz didn't harass the woman who was in a scene that he was in for a funnier die sketch. Oh boy. And he didn't. He was lovely. <laughs> they just wanted to make sure someone was there. It was by the actress's Mission accomplished. It was, <laughs> it was by the actress's request. Uh, so uh, it was basically this sketch. It was either, uh, I think it was Funny or Die, but it was basically, uh, it was the leaked J-Lo uh, sex tape. And oh. so they made it seem like it was going to be Jennifer Lopez, and then it ends up being the John Lovett sex tape. And, uh, yeah, my, of course, naturally. Yeah. And so my job was just to make sure that she was uh, always covered up when they weren't shooting. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, I was saying like, "Oh, I'm a very big fan." He's just like, "Okay." And I was just like, "I love the critic." He's like, "Cool." And I was just like, oh, no. "I like happiness." He's like, "Really?" Well, <laughs> but I, he was I, truly I, lovely. I, I'd have to say, knowing him, I would doubt he would ever do anything like. I mean, Mm-mm. it's always like the risky now to go. Oh, I would guarantee so and so would never do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Turn out to be killers, but he's he's very actually shy. And I mean, he is what you see. He's a nerdy, fun guy. He's really nice. Yeah, he was very sweet. I was scared when I was asked to do that, but I was kind of like, oh, well, it wasn't a problem at all. Yeah. Yeah. Him being shy, it makes sense that his, like, you know, um, 
the caricature of himself that he often portrays is being this like overly confident, arrogant guy. I mean, there's even a moment in the show, uh, the critic where like, Oh, it's John Lovitz. And he's like, you know, I'm holding onto something you've never seen before talent, you know, like (laughs) that being the master thespian kind of side of him. My favorite attribute of his comedic character is immense confidence based on nothing. (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely nothing going for it, but he's completely confident. Yeah. Yeah. So so you mentioned you had written this before asking John Lovitz, but was it going to be animated uh, no. all the way? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, the original thing was we had a deal after season four of The Simpsons where Jim Brooks had a pilot that we were going to do with him. And he said, why don't we do uh, something about a morning show? And Mike Reese said, oh, the morning show could have a critic like Gene Shalit. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, then we wrote – the critic became more and more of the you know center of our attention in the script. And we just, and Jim had just seen a league of their own. And he goes, "What do you think of Love? It's so we go, "We love him." We had him in The Simpsons mm-hmm. playing the rival for Homer's love, Artie Ziff, and uh, for Marge's love. Uh, and and um, so we wrote it for him. And of course, as I say, we did the stupidest thing possible, which is we brought him in and said, "Only you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Please make me make your terms nice." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't he wasn't mean. He just said, "Well, you know, I don't know you guys." And we said, "Well, you know, we work with Jim, Jim's reputation, and and." Uh, then um, I said, why don't we do it as an animated show? Both it would get him involved and then you could do those parodies and it would just be mm-hmm. like much easier to do the kind of jokes we wanted to do on the show. So yeah. then that happened and the rest is um, failure. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say history, but <laughs> I, I don't know. Failure is the best part of history. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, history was written by the failures. So I've heard yeah. that somewhere. Uh, Juliet, so uh, if you don't already have it up, maybe I was thinking we could just read a synopsis of the show just for anyone that doesn't do it. Normally on our Simpsons podcast, which we have long since left, uh, we like to read the synopses <laughs> of the episode Ice Cold. I, uh, I, I have will... it here if you'd like. Oh, it. I have it too, but Perfect. I, I want to be uh, clear with our listeners. We are going to eventually return to The Simpsons. I don't Okay. Um, I have to just say one thing, too, which is I know the critic wasn't the greatest show. (laughs) You know, it had its flaws. So if people are going, this guy, he's out of his mind. He thinks it's like, I'm not. I know. I know. I disagree. Yeah, we love the critic. I understand where you're coming from. As a creator of something, <laughs> I, I see know, the flaws. Yeah, of course, and you under you see like the you know seven layers of behind the scenes that we don't see. Um, you know, we're just seeing like a, a lovable guy who likes to make fun of Woody Allen. Yes, a lot. You guys made fun of Woody it, Allen it was, so much. Well, you know, it was one of those things. A lot of things look different now. <laughs> <laughs> That's something that I want to ask you about too. The answer is yes, <laughs> <laughs> and then the answer is good night. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so this is uh, the synopsis from Wikipedia. God bless those uh, nerds that contribute to this lovely free page. But this is what they have to write. Uh, the Critic is an American primetime animated series revolving around the life of New York film critic Jay Sherman, voiced by actor John Lovitz. That is all. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else that you want to add about the synopsis of this show? <laughs> well, we thought it was a way to parody. I just have always loved satirizing movies, satirizing. Mm-hmm. When I was uh, in college, we did the Harvard Lampoon, and if you did a parody of a magazine, people would go, it looks like the real thing, right. which isn't that hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you know, and I worked at National Lampoon, and I did a parody of 
uh, historical comics called A New York Yankee in King Arthur's Court with Reggie Jackson. So was, my whole career has just been stealing and, <laughs> and making it like, uh, you know, a little bit of a twist. So we thought this is great. We could do, you know, Beauty and the Beast on the pilot episode. Yeah. We could do Schwarzenegger and um, we could – you know, we wound up doing the one we did a million times was the first Jurassic Park, which, which holds up because they keep making yeah. <laughs> oh, good Lord. I keep saying, you know, like if I was a parent, I go, well, OK, that park has you know been overrun and all the kids were eaten four times, <laughs> five times. It'll be fa- totally safe. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no worries. The fifth time they've got <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's a whole new trilogy now, baby. You know, forgive and forget. Was it Home Alone 5? Uh, oh, yeah. She's like, we forgot Kevin. And he's he's 23, 23 years old. <laughs> you get a very stubble. That is right. interesting. <laughs> I mean, so besides Home Alone and Jurassic Park, like, what are the movies and TV shows that you parodied that have stand the test of time? Howard Stern we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was it was the Cockroach King instead of the Lion King. And I think. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You know, one of the things I should mention is we had one of those moments you have in auditions where, um, well, I'll tell you one and then I'll tell you the, the one I was getting to, which was. We were auditioning different voiceover actors, and Mark Hamill came in. This is 1994. And I said, hi, I'm Al Jean. He goes, you're Al Jean? <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, this is insane. What? This is Mark Hamill saying he's impressed to meet me. I, wow. I, That's incredible. Like, as well as things I go, like, this is just – I'm just a kid from Detroit. You know, like, this right. is nuts. And so he's a really nice guy and, and – uh, I stopped watching Star Wars now that his character's dead. Spoiler! <laughs> but, we don't know. Aren't they going to remake it? Normally you say spoiler online. before the spoiler happens. <laughs> I know. I'm an asshole. <laughs> but um, the, the other story I was going to say is we had Maurice LaMarche walk in. Oh, he's, I want to talk about him. Yeah, I had, no, I had no idea who he was. And I just said, oh, my God, this guy's the best vocal impressionist I ever heard. He just does one thing after another. He did Arthur, I mean, you know, which, of course, was great. You know, he passed away, Dudley Moore. But, Mm -hmm. you know, still, it was just perfect. And I I said – just just asking, could you do Al Pacino from Son of a Woman? He goes, well, I never tried, but he goes, hoo-ha! And, and it was perfect, and I go, oh, my God, this makes the show. And, and said, can really you do did. that 25 times? Yeah. No, 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 absolutely. I, I, and now he's got two voiceover Emmys, and I, I you know, am, I love the guy. I think he's it's so happy for every piece of recognition he gets. He was mm-hmm. the voice of Lexus. Yeah. Was, even when my car was breaking down and I would call, and he'd be the voice of Lexus. <laughs> I wasn't mad. Uh, yeah, I, so I love nice that guy. Too. Yeah. Yes, he's he, great. Um, I mentioned a lot on, on this podcast, but I uh, host a Simpsons trivia show called Stonecutters. It used to be at Meltdown Comics, and now uh, we're at Lyric Hyperion. But once a year, we'll do a Futurama show, and he'll come out, and David X. Cohen will come out, a bunch of other people will come out. But he's just so, like, he'll do voices, and he'll, you know, just be so game. And, you know, after every show, like, he'll come up to us and be like, it's such a pleasure to work with you today. I'm like, I'm just a bozo who's, like, reading trivia. He's a total gentleman. I'm not on your level, gentleman. dude. <laughs> Yeah, he's well, so I'm sure sweet. you are, but he's 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 yeah. just a great guy. And uh, I'll say one of the, my favorite things the critic ever did was based on when he would get into Orson Welles, which we would oh. jack in, even though he's long dead and there's no excuse for Orson Welles being in. There's always an excuse. <laughs> I love it. But he would always start by going, we know a remote farm in Lincolnshire. And so and I said, well, we should do, you know, green penis and <laughs> going on and on. And that was because Maurice would always just sort of set up his his bit by starting that. You know, he, he really could do Orson Welles like for an hour, like right. just off the top of his head. Didn't he do the voice of Orson Welles and Ed Wood? He, like he did. Said. What happened was, is they had um, the guy from Full Metal Jacket. My name, I'm blanking. Vincent his name. D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio mm-hmm. played the physical Orson Welles, right? But didn't sound like him. So they had Maurice loop all the lines. You wow. can see if you go, 
And that it sounds just like Orson Welles. It's Maurice. And we had Maurice and the Simpsons playing Orson Welles. Mm-hmm. We did yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's, I mean, that's just an uncanny, uncanny, like. Yeah. To to our listeners that maybe don't know who Maurice LaMarche is. Or Orson Welles. Or, 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 or Orson Welles. Orson Welles, you got to figure out on your own. Yeah, um, that's on you. Maurice LaMarche, probably the that our demographic would know is the brain from Pinky and the Brain. I'm trying to think of maybe yeah. what is uh, Egon uh, from the Ghostbusters cartoon. Mm-hmm. Many uh, voices in Futurama. Right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's got one of those voices that, like, if you geek out ever about, like, that type of thing, or just you, you, once you hear it, you suddenly hear it everywhere you Right, look. right, right, right. Like Billy West, like those kind of guys. He's too. friends with Billy, too. Yeah. yeah. Where the, both of them are just, like, be. insanely talented mm-hmm. guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I read uh, in researching for today's episode that there's one episode of The Critic where Maurice did 27 different characters whoa i know what why happened? why'd ha- you do that well i'll also tell you this is the the greatest thing impressionists can do in my opinion the phone i get a message on my phone and i hear it's lovitz and he's going like oh hi Al. i'm kind of tired i don't want to come in today. Oh, I go, fuck it and he goes it's maurice it's not oh, lovitz wow. and he fooled me oh my I god i thought he was really doing lovitz that's amazing that's really funny Holy shit. and, and then, he does a good lovitz yeah uh, and people would go did you use him as lovitz on the critic and no we never actually he would tempt it but we'd never mm. we'd always get john in the end yeah yeah, well, I mean, kind of the joke with John Lovitz, even though, um, you know, he does have, you you allow him to have a little bit of a voiceover range and try other characters in this, but, like, you know, we always talk about how his voiceover presence on The Simpsons is just his voice. Which like, is so funny. <laughs> yeah, it t- doesn't really vary between Artie Ziff or um, Llewellyn Sinclair. Right? Yeah, because yeah. there are three characters in the world of Springfield that just talk exactly the same, <laughs> but it's so good. He's just such a funny He, he does actor. it. He'll go so like, distinct. now I'll do Llewellyn Sinclair. I'm Llewellyn Sinclair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, that's the difference. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> we don't want anything else. He's correct. He was, If you look at the first season that he was on SNL, he was one of those guys, the camera loved him. He mm-hmm. was a hit from the first, you know, like an Eddie Murphy, right. just a few people like that, you know, Kate McKinnon, where they just bang, mm-hmm. they love you and, and, you know, you're a star. It's really magic. Yeah, but even with that, it was just always John Lovitz. I can't remember him playing super against type with that. <laughs> yeah. But again, we didn't want anything else. No, he never, he, yeah. It's, it, but see, to me, there's, there's actors like Bill Murray where they are really funny, but they don't do tons of impressions. Mm-hmm. And there's geniuses like Dan Aykroyd. You're kind of better being the one that does the character because that's what they want for movies. They want, you know, people obviously don't tell you buy into character. Mm-hmm. So if I had a choice, then I'm neither. <laughs> I, I would take the first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I just want to read the, the premise section uh, just, just, oh, yeah. just in case there are any people that uh, that haven't seen the show. Obviously, it comes highly recommended. Uh, Julia, do you want to read it or do you want me to? Go for it. I'm going to go for it. Ice cold. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the the basic conceit. The show follows the life of 36-year-old film critic from New York, uh, Jay Prescott Sherman. I didn't realize that his Excuse middle name me? was Prescott. <laughs> really? Well, he has name. the Waspy family. <laughs> oh, I should call my dad and find out what's <laughs> happening with our... I think we're not that. I think we're very much... I, I remember not to um, you know go on a tangent a little bit, no, but uh, I, when I was a, a kid, so by come from my dad's side is um like british irish descent and i went on a trip to ireland when i was like 13 and i kept seeing prescott everywhere but it would be like prescott dry cleaners <laughs> prescott plumbing <laughs> and so i think that's where my people come from <laughs> that's really funny uh also really quickly uh d- I think it's totally fine to dissect each part. There are a lot of things to cover here. Yeah. 
watching it as a kid, 36 was the oldest age I could think of. <laughs> I know. I, I was just yeah. thinking I was 20 years older. <laughs> a man I regarded as decrepit. <laughs> yeah, because I was watching it, uh, and, and, and I was with just someone who's like 35. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, they got so sad. They're just like, yeah. he's only 36. And well, you know, Homer's know. supposed to be 38. I know. Which makes so no sense. Crazy. People think he's like 102. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I mean, even even though the 90s isn't that long ago, like a 30-year-old is very different then than it is right, now. Right, right, right. I mean, it truly is just a very different vibe and feeling. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of crazy. I remember thinking that, like, the people that were on the real world were so old. And they were like... <laughs> and, <laughs> and mature. And mature. Role models. Those early seasons before they figured out that it needed to be trash, they had some thoughtful discussions around that table. Let me tell you. Uh, so getting back to the synopsis, you have uh, we're talking about Jay, and he has a televised review show uh, called Coming Attractions, which airs on the Phillips Broadcasting Cable Network. He's also, this is in quotes, cold, mean-spirited, and elitist. His signature line, which you probably know, upon seeing a terrible movie is, it stinks! Each episode is full of film references and parodies. Some of the secondary characters that are a part of Jay's story include his nutty adoptive father, his well-meaning son Marty, the Australian movie star Jeremy Hawk, Margot, the biological child of his adoptive parents, his snide makeup lady Doris, and his boss Duke Phillips. In the second season, Jay acquired a love interest, a southern woman named Alice Tompkins, who later became his long-term girlfriend. So that covers a lot of the show. Yeah, it does. Uh, it's, um, well, I want to just insert one thing, which was when we did the first season on ABC, which didn't really have anything that was anywhere like it, we aired after Home Improvement, it tested really poorly. Mm-hmm. And people said, we find the character cold, mean-spirited, and elite. <laughs> Like, oh, that's, that's a mistake. <laughs> so we yeah. honestly, the next season, he's warm. He's right. nice to nice people. And he's a common man. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why we brought in Park Overall to play mm-hmm. uh, his girlfriend. Because, like, she's the most lovable person. And so if you had him and she saying, she's, we thought, like, why is Homer okay? Because right. Marge thinks Homer's okay. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was actually going to ask you about that because even, so I was flipping through season one and season two. And I don't find, I mean, besides, like, the storyline of Alice coming in, like, I don't find it to be that drastic of a difference. But, you know, it is interesting to me. We talk a lot about, you know, how, like, Homer is redeemed by Marge. Homer is uh, a redeeming character because he's not particularly horny. We talk about that. but like, Oh, no. I don't think he'd ever be unfaithful. Yeah. yeah. Well, food comes, unfaithful, but not close, unfaithful. Right, unfaithful. But always but, chooses the right way. Whereas Jay Sherman is very horny and like but single but single <laughs> yeah but but sometimes and maybe this is a sign of like uh, mid 90s TV um, in the pilot episode he's sitting across from his date and like just staring at her boobs <laughs> and yet I felt as an audience member that he is still deserving of love me too very charming very charming and and I'm just curious why you think that might be if if there was a conscious thought of designing him a certain way you know it was a really instructive experience we could, uh, we, we you know went to test audiences again we did everything backwards we tested it after it <laughs> <laughs> and they were just going, oh, he's such a loser. loser. I kept saying he's mm-hmm. a loser. So in the second season, you may note, like, we just keep going, you're a winner, Sherman. I don't know why you're a winner, but you're a winner. <laughs> like, one thing I can say about you, winner. Yeah. And uh, and as I say, there's a lesson, Jim Brooks, you know, very famous thing about Mary Tyler Moore. In the pilot, initially, people hated Rhoda, which mm-hmm. is astounding because yeah. everybody loves Valley Hopper and loves Rhoda. But they hated her because she was trying to take Mary's apartment. Yeah, so they added right. one line. They added a little girl saying, I like Rhoda. And they go, why do you like Rhoda? I don't know. I like her. 
and that turned the whole thing around. People like Rhoda. Oh, then they were okay that Rhoda like Mary, and then the I mean, I just have a little girl with, lived. with me at all times. Like, <laughs> I don't know, like, like, uh, so your hype man, your flavor flav. That's very wise. Uh, so, oh, it helps. To, uh, That's what Mike Reese used to do, but I lot couldn't pay him enough. Uh, to, to the point of design, um, oh, oh, just yeah. because it does also go back to the Simpsons. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, David Silverman uh, is who actually designed Jay, but there were I think four people uh, who yes. d- who did design. Uh, so David Silverman, mm-hmm. Rich Moore, uh, David Cutler, and Everett Peck. Yeah. Uh, can you speak to any of uh, of that side of things? It is interesting that it was originally going to be this and er, non you know live action show, and then we move here. Uh, so I'd love to hear more about kind of that process. Once again, we did it backwards. Matt Groening is a genius at a lot of things. One thing he's a genius at is uh, character design. Oh, really? You recognize their Matt Groening character. You know, mm-hmm. Well, I always say, I have one of my kids draw Bart, age seven. They can draw Bart. I'll show it to you. I'll go, who is this? You'll know it's Bart. Right. It's yeah. that great, that simple a design. Our design, David did a thing based on Andy Kaufman, and then Rich was the guy we wanted to be. Uh, now he's like an Oscar winner. I mean, you know, huge. <laughs> I mean, he's the greatest. And uh, our, our regular director, and his uh, David Cutler was his friend. He wanted to be the animation director. So it was kind of a hodgepodge. And then there were some other characters that we bought from an, a guy named Everett Peck, like the um, design of Doris was his. Mm-hmm. So I have to admit, again, you know, I – I have no talent. <laughs> I can't draw either. Yeah, so that the whole here. thing has this real like mixed look to it. Some characters look like they're in one universe. Some characters look like they're in another. That is a, a you know one thing we were trying to do, and Matt was trying to do with Futurama. We were trying to not be the Simpsons. You know, mm-hmm. we were saying we're not going to make it look like the Simpsons. We're not going to be about a family in the same sense. We're not going to put it in Springfield. We're going to put it in real place, New York, and. Some of that, I mean, I would say the same thing, you know, it makes it a lot tougher, you know, because the best thing for a TV show is for people to go, oh, it's a family like my family. Even if it's Mary Tyler Moore, it's yeah. still a family. Right. Yeah. So actually, that was something that I was kind of laughing at when I was going through uh, the Wikipedia for it, because this is something that is impressive, but said in a very not impressive way. Uh, it just says the critic was the first major non-family sitcom animated program to appear in primetime. Yeah. That is a feat, <laughs> but just the way it says, That's like, classic what? That's what's going to be on my tombstone. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, the classic quality Wikipedia clunky ass sentence. But uh, they don't know how to edit. Ironically, uh, yeah. So I, I, I was uh, I was trying to think of what are what are other. I I'm mean, gonna go home and pat myself on the back this night. You really should. You've been waiting all these years to. Uh, I'm wondering if there are any other major non-family sitcom animated programs to appear in primetime because like every every cartoon I could think of, there's still. I mean, there is a family right. component to this, but he's not. The Marty is not in every single. Mm-hmm. episode i'm trying to think if there are any cartoons that don't have a because like archer still has the mother you have right, of course Bob's burgers obviously is a family like any once fox had king of the hill and then more to the point family guy yeah they just said we just want families of some right. sort right because why wouldn't they that's what worked that's what you know hit it really big although you know there's a whole other thing nobody wants to listen to about how you know we we're on abc and it was a legitimate failure and I didn't think, you know, we belonged on the network. On Fox, we actually did well, mm-hmm. but there was, it's in Mike's book, and he names the guy. There was a studio head who hated us. He just didn't like us. And we had a meeting where they were screening it for him and these other two people, these younger executives, and they were laughing at it. And he's going, why are you laughing? <gasps> this show stinks. He said stinks? Yeah. <laughs> was that the origin it of stinks. it stinks? No, no, it was afterwards. <laughs> and then Lovitz goes, I bet he looks like the critic. And he goes, he does look like the That's critic. That's so ah! funny. So wow. I, I don't name him, but if you've got Mike's book, you can. <laughs> Yeah, what a sweet plug. When we had the, 
This is so petty of me. When we had the Simpsons at the Hollywood Bowl, we had a necrology reel of all the Fox presidents who'd been fired, except we left him out. Oh, <laughs> funny. So That's I wanted to make great. sure, like, he's like, hey, they, oh. <laughs> That's where you should have put that critic cardboard cut out at the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> uh, so we're going to take a quick break. Everybody uh, pick up your Mike Reese books and flip to that chapter. <laughs> we'll be right it back. Sabbath. The Greatest Generation is the most popular Star Trek podcast in the world. A pretty dubious distinction, but it's true. We've blasted through all of Star Trek The Next Generation, and now we are blasting through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Come find out why millions of people have listened to our show and the Star Trek industrial complex ignores it. Go to MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts and look for The Greatest Generation. reading that book. Mm-hmm. I read it all. <laughs> it, is a, it is a great book. I have it's to say. It's a very good yeah. book. I, I skimmed it really fast because I was like, okay, who's going to get fired? And, <laughs> and then I, I was pleasantly surprised. It's very entertaining. I think he's, he, you know, Mike and my experience is very much the same. So it's 100% true. And I think he's a very generous and thoughtful writer. And I, I yeah. totally recommend it. Yeah. Can, can you speak a little bit to your working relationship with Mike? Just because you guys obviously were, you know, uh, like season three and four on The Simpsons showrunners and yeah. just anything you could share with the process we, of even coming to this show we got along great he's he's really brilliant i you know work with him still one day a week he comes in on the simpsons i'm there you know all full time um we had you know like one fight in our career which is about that green penis line. <laughs> i wanted to do it and he didn't but he admits <laughs> can you can you fill the audience just in case i know it came up yeah. earlier but can you can you tell the, the green penis story yes please oh it was that uh we had orson wells um there's a thing where he goes crazy on a in a booth like this on, on an audio engineer just going Remote farm in Lincolnshire. I can't say that. If you can say that, I'll go down on you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so then we wanted it to say, like, yummy goodness and green penis. And he goes, green penis. And, and so that was something that we added to the show. And Maurice doing Orson Welles. Um, Mike Mike didn't want to keep it going that long, but but we did. And uh, and also, I have to say, there are things that he wanted in that I cut. That, like, I go, why did I cut that? I, you oh, know. yeah. But, um you know, very few, and it was really what happened was we were running another show, Teen Angel, and it was just. I loved Teen Angel. <laughs> I, I want to adopt you. <laughs> I really I enjoyed say. it. Um, but uh, I loved that pause. It told us everything. <laughs> well, we, we had we had literally actually twelve executives on that show, uh-huh. and I remember Carolyn Ginsburg of ABC calling me, giving me notes, and I go. You know that those notes you gave me, you're going to give me the opposite notes tomorrow because someone else is going to tell you not to. And she mm-hmm. goes, I know, just please do them. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. And, and that was an ABC show, too, It right? was. And yeah. they just bought Disney, which you'd think would work, but there were actually two teams, a Disney team that hated the ABC team. And, mm-hmm. and like, Carolyn I liked, but it was like, it wasn't just her. It was the dozen, a 12-headed monster telling you what to do. And that's yeah. why Mike retired, as a long way of saying. Uh, that's why he quit running a show full-time, whereas... Mm-hmm. I've been at The Simpsons full-time since almost 20 years exactly that I came back. Oh, man. 
when are you going to move on and get on with your life? <laughs> I'm trying to kill it. <laughs> I'm doing my best. Not of canon. <laughs> That's how we always ask, how do you think The Simpsons is going to end? Well, I have a, a thing that I put online, which is I think that the last episode should um, sort of have the models shift, and it ends with them going to a Christmas pageant, which was the beginning of the first right. episode, yeah. Yeah. so that the entire series is a loop. It doesn't have a beginning, and it doesn't mm-hmm. have an end. Yeah. So now that I've said it, I guess it won't happen, but that <laughs> I, I, I sort of said it because hey, I- Hey, Seuss, delete the clip. No! <laughs> <laughs> He's taking a smoke break, Allie! <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like that because it's it's a way to- you know, solve it without solving it. Like, you don't want to give a definitive, this is the end of it. Because it's not a movie. It's you a, do not want to yeah. see Grandpa die. I'll tell you this. No. You do not want to see. We did a little thing at the finale of this season where we imitated Six Feet Under, where we showed uh, hypothetical versions of how each person would pass away. Mm-hmm. But that was not canon. I mean, what is canon? Right, <laughs> I, mean, right. I don't know. Are Kane and Kodos canon? Uh, we wrote right, an episode where right. they were. Good God forgive us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> God forgive us. If I could take back one horrible thing in my misspent youth. <laughs> it was doing a non-canon Kang so and Kodos. What a- Oh, it's just story time, you guys. We don't need nerds. Just need to calm down on the internet. I think. <laughs> Am I gonna alienate most of our listenership? Sure. No, no. I pre- listen. I- I've learned a lot of things from reading what people say online. A mm-hmm. lot of things, and I think it makes me a better person. I only dislike it when people get personal. I only think oh, that yeah. if. You know, they say, we hope you die or, you know, something about my family. Oh, by the oh, way, geez. if I can, can I dedicate this? My father passed away Thursday. I'm not joking. Aww. And I want to dedicate this podcast to him. He Absolutely. Was a great man. And he was a, a harder worker than I am. I mean, he was the hardest worker I ever met. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's very sweet. Yeah. I'm so sorry for your loss. And thank you for still doing our really small podcast. <laughs> oh, it's so okay. Nice I, I, yeah. We're going to have a thing for him with the family like later in the month. But uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. What did he do? He owned a hardware store, mm-hmm. which I worked in from the age of 10, uh, and wow. I did everything I could to get out of that hardware store. <laughs> yeah. And uh, one Simpsons story is I would, you know, I'd put stuff in the show from my youth, which is my sister was Bart. She would be the one that would go, time for grace, rub it up, dub thanks for the gra-. You know, like, and I was <laughs> yeah, Lisa, yeah, yeah. really, in terms of my personality. And I, my dad had some Homerish qualities. And mm-hmm. then so in Wikipedia, they go, Homer is based on Al's father. And I go, that oh, makes no sense. Oh, so Homer yeah. is Matt's father's yeah. name. Matt's father wasn't <laughs> right, right. really like Homer. I didn't create the series. The, the characters were completely done before I had anything yeah. to do with it. You know, it's like, so I got that taken out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I this is what, Wikipedia? We've already criticized enough in this episode. Um, but yeah, they, they don't take into account any nuance in, in compare. I mean, I feel like Homer no. is all of our fathers. Isn't that the point? Yes, that's exactly the point. <laughs> He's and, my dad, certainly, you know, and, and that's why I think it resonates so well with, you know, not just us, but generations of fans over the years. So... Yeah. So take that, Internet. <laughs> Get on it. Hey, I'll just look on Twitter. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, so let's actually talk a little bit about the, the father-son dynamic between Jay and yeah. Marty. Just because it's so sweet. And I, I, uh, I've I met father-sons that are like this, where the, the son it looks, unfortunately, like an older man already, like <laughs> as a young boy. I love um, it, though. It's always funny when you see like a kind of matching duo. And so mm-hmm. uh, one of our sponsors, the two pandas at the park, Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again, guys. <laughs> uh, not a lot of money, but we'll take what we can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
I, uh, it, uh, the opening to the critic also just it makes me laugh out loud every single time. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's because there aren't so many episodes that it's enough to get tired of it, but it just really it's like full of laughs. But the panda winking to Jay and Marty really kind of gets me, which makes me feel very stupid. It makes me feel like a kid. I'm just like, why I is this so it. funny to me? No, I love it, and I love that you guys, you know, similar to the chalkboard gag and like the couch gag, um, you know, vary up the intro a little bit, at least between season one and season two and then that last beat with the phone call every morning. Yes. Well, I would say Marty was the first fat kid primetime animated character. Yeah! <laughs> yeah. Write was. that up, internet! <laughs> yeah. Well, no, he he's was. He went, so to, he went to fat too. camp and... Yeah. Yeah, he's, he, I think he's drawn to look a little like Mike if Mike was heavy, which Aww. he is. He's very thin. <laughs> no, but he has that same sort of like... Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. ...look on his face. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, Marty has a very uh, disgusting talent, uh, which still grosses me out even though it's just a cartoon, but I remember being uh, terrified of his, uh, his ability to make his stomach go in and out when... Oh. He, there's an episode where he like, there's like a talent show and he's trying yeah. to like play guitar and and do these things and uh, he realizes that he could suck his stomach in and out and it's hypnotic but also just as a kid I remember being like that's gross. There was some visual <laughs> stuff where I thought we went too far. Although one of the things I you know it might have been my joke but it was the Easter Island kid that looked like yeah. one of the oh, yeah, 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 yeah. and like I would say to myself. Wait, this makes no sense. <laughs> Somebody's yeah. going to call on uh, call us on this sooner or later, and nobody ever did. If you go, well, I like so. Then I would go, I don't know, because you go, the show's too broad, but that's okay. <laughs> right, right. This giant stone kid, and <laughs> nobody really pays any attention. But to. I think that speaks to your mastery of handling your very specific tone, because you were able to have like uh, the yes, really absurd, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your well. your absurd <laughs> jokes with it, and you were stretching the reality of this world, but you know. Uh, in the same episode of that Easter Island kid, you know, there's a very sweet, like, mother-daughter story that's going on. And there's, like, the sweetness of what the actual A story is that allows for all of those little flourishes that we kind of, you know, they're they're almost like the cutaway gags similar to Family Guy. Do you feel like Family Guy maybe ripped you guys off a little bit? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, Great. I, look, uh, we made our peace with them, but there was a thing. This is actually what got me. I love that. <laughs> got me the angriest at the time, and I don't. I, you know, all power to Seth, and you know, I think that the Family Guy is its own thing, and I love the guys that are there. But we did a thing where Jay ate a big blueberry, and he got fat like Willy Wonka, and they uh-huh. had the the guy and Family Guy do the same thing. Yeah, and I go, wait, that's the same. I, that was like the single thing that I got. I just thought, why didn't you just do something different? And- you could, right, yeah, there are also right. other scenes from Willy Wonka that they could have done. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> if they had just done a different one, I wouldn't have been mad. And and so at the beginning, I was just kind of like, because the critic had been canceled also, and then Family Guy succeeded, and I was like, you owe me $200 million. <laughs> I'm still waiting for it. But I, I really, I, you know, I don't want to... Say anything course, bad. Yeah. I, I like Seth. I think you know he, he just donated two two million to NPR. He has a lot yeah, of great qualities. Yeah. He is one of the most talented talk about voiceover people that I ever was. Mm-hmm. You know, and deserves a lot of Emmys for that. I love friends on the show. It does great things, and uh, but so. we'll never forgive him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and he will. Well, We'll, be on our shit list forever. We'll never, yeah, we'll never we book them it. on this podcast. No, no, but they and... did a crossover. They asked to do a crossover, which they wrote. And we yeah. minor, minor notes. We didn't want to interfere. And they took more shots at themselves mm-hmm. for, you know, that stuff than I ever would have. And I thought, okay, so thanks. That's, I don't know if 
apologies. I think apologies are right, overused right. these days, and I don't need an apology. But I thought that made me feel fine, and yeah, it's all good. I've mentioned before that the only time I watch Family Guy is when uh, I am at the gym at our work because it's the only thing they play other than uh, Fox News. And so it's basically mm-hmm. like I watch the news or Family uh, Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, well, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and... I'll take the Mountain Dew. Yeah. Oh, sorry, the crowd juice. <laughs> <laughs> I fucked up the Simpsons life. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, but uh, Well, that was the thing, too. They were... I, uh, as my, this is not a, a joke. This was true. As my father is passing, I'm getting all these emails from like reporters going, you, "Aren't you going to make a statement about Fox News?" And they go, "Hasn't the Simpsons made statements yeah, about Fox right. News?" The entire time. One, yeah, I mean, you, and by the way, if you think that that's like an easy thing for us to get on the show, like people go, "Oh, great, you're gonna," yeah. you're yeah. like, "No, it's not." Right. So I go, I don't think I have anything to add to what the show did, and and you know, and. Also, I had other stuff going on. Yeah, yeah seriously. Of course. Uh, but I, anytime that I see this show uh, on the little workout screen, mm-hmm. uh, it's often uh, making fun of itself for for ripping off The Simpsons. Like it's yeah. at least later they did a pretty and, good job. Of and doing like that. the tropes that they are now leaning on of like all the cutaways and how like it's eighty twenty eighty percent gags and twenty percent story now. And at least the self awareness is there. So. No, no. I, by the way, I love animation. You know, I'm glad that all these animators, all these writers. For animation, yeah. have jobs. I, I can't get it. I'm thrilled that there are shows like Rick and Morty and Archer, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Bob's Burgers. I mean, so the the whole field being you know as popular as it is is like a dream for me when I was a kid. Uh, yeah. so, someone tweeted this uh, and it went a little viral, but it was uh, someone just saying. Uh, uh, animation is uh, a, a medium, uh, not a genre, which mm-hmm. I think is very important to distinguish. Because, like, because you very interesting. people will say, just like, well, why was King of the Hill animated? That could have been like a live action show, or like, right. why, why is this that? Or like, you think of like, do you like cartoons and do you like this? And it's just like, well, they're completely different shows, and some are for adults, and some are for kids, and some are dramas, and like, you have all these different types of things. Yeah. And it was an interesting thing to hear. Like, oh, of course, that makes sense. It's a medium. Right. I also look at it like putting together a political campaign where you're trying to get different groups. If you have animation, you get the two to 15 year olds automatically. Like my daughters mm-hmm. from extremely young ages would watch The Simpsons just because of the brilliant design, you know, the way Matt yeah. and, and this woman named Georgie Pelosi that made them yellow. And uh, so you can get away with like adult stuff and satire that normally wouldn't be watched with mm-hmm. live action because the kids are watching because it's a cartoon. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would even say that like, you know, uh, specifically the animation style uh, of the critic and there's like this added texture there's like a life quality to it uh, you know it being like what 2D at the time uh, we call, we called a painterly effect is what yeah. Rich wanted to go for yeah yeah it affected the stories and the warmth of the characters um, and something that you know not to say that later when you guys did Flash it was bad but it just felt a little different well it was cheap <laughs> 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 yeah. that, that, was, that was back when the internet was like just throwing money right, at everything right. and so we did 10 of them and and then there was no more money <laughs> like <laughs> right. I was willing to do more I think the last one we did it was like a parody of Pearl Harbor where you saw like the USS Arizona and all these people running around in explosions and we said that's just the premiere party <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there there were there other scripts that never got to yes. see the light of day there was a single white female parody that we had that we were going to do and I forget we had about I still have some stack somewhere of about eight scripts that we never got to produce um, it, it was weird. It was 
I still have this this note card where I show that we held 90% of The Simpsons, 92%, and then the show that we were canceled and that followed us held 60%, you know. Mm-hmm. That's, again, the kind of thing you let go of if you're mature after 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a success on Fox. If, mm-hmm. if Fox had kept it going, I think it would have... Uh, I'd still be working, and I, <laughs> I guess it doesn't make a difference. Would you ever? Yeah. Would you guys ever want to bring it back as a? I would. Yeah, people ask. The only problem is I can't do it while I'm working for Fox. It's a right. Sony show, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, well, once you kill the Simpsons, <laughs> which you've said single-handedly, you're breaking on this show right now. I spent Next so much year. time trying to kill the Simpsons, <laughs> doing non-canon things. Yeah, you're you're like the shitty girlfriend that's like you know just keep making plans on up. date night and is just not interested anymore, waiting for the other person to break up with you. Just just so just because people might. I think I'm not joking. <laughs> Let me just add, from the moment that started running The Simpsons in season three, I literally every Saturday and, and Sunday would be all I'd be terrified to go. I don't want to ruin the show. Right. I don't want the show to go to hell. This is now for 30 years. Yeah. I've, written it, I've run it for 20, and I still have that nervousness. I still have that tenseness. Obviously, I can't say everything we've done has been great. Obviously, I can't say, you know, I've never made a mistake, but. I can guarantee you I think about it and I work as hard as I ever did. Oh, of course. To try to yeah. make it as good as possible. And everybody does. I mean, it's far from my, you know, mm-hmm. all the people that you would now believe how hard the directors work and the people in animation. Unbelievable. Yeah. We feel so lucky to get to talk to uh, people that are involved with the show. Uh, one, just because we're fans, but two, because it allows us to, to really feel how much of a passion project it still is for everybody that has worked on you it. You can tell. People go, I'm going to have. love it Well, so people much. see it so long. It's, a, you know, in on FXX, you know, it may be on the air after I'm gone. You know, you want to make the Simpsons that you do as good as you can make it. Yeah. I have one that I wrote that's coming out where um, uh, Lisa reads To Kill a Mockingbird and uh, Homer does something nice and she starts seeing him as Gregory Peck. Oh. And I'm really, like, <laughs> looking forward to this one. We actually got clips from the movie we're going to use that oh, they're wow. watching. Yeah. Oh, we got a clearance from the Gregory Peck estate and yeah, from right. um, the, the actress that played Scout. Oh, yeah, God, that's great. Yeah. Well, we've already always said on the show that, um, you know, gosh, it is, uh, you know, in writing for TV, like it's a tall order to jump on season two of a show and come up with new stories. And it's so hard to it see out. shows you love. Uh, one would be Mr. Robot. And then season two, I was like, I'm a little tired of it. <laughs> right, and right. I, whatever. I don't want to hit, hit on that show. But there's season two is a tough thing to do. Right. And so you guys are. Like way beyond that, I so like we always said, <laughs> a little, and bit, a little so, bit, little bit, just a little. Um, but you know, we've always said like uh, our hats are off to you guys in generating new stories and you know being uh, creative with like that Halloween episode that you guys did that wasn't Treehouse of Horror, but it was like the that full... was Matt Selman. That was great. Yeah, was so and the Lego good. episode and things like that. So it. it it's difficult, but you guys are still doing it. And I love, you know, in talking to you guys and hearing how passionate everyone still is. And also, no one's a jerk over there. I've not yet to meet somebody who works on the Simpsons. I'll, I'll tell you a story a that's in, in Mike's book. And I, I, I <laughs> oh, like good. to think nobody's book, which was there was a writer. I will not name the writer, but who uh, was known for the other writers for shooting their things down. Like I pitched mm. the joke about chiclets and he said, they don't make those anymore. And I was driving home and I just, <laughs> They still make them, and I went into a Seven Eleven. Damn! So when I took over again, I said, "Listen, you're telling a guy, but I have a, a request. You you have to be a team player, and if you're not, I, we, we don't really think you you should be on the staff." So he went home and he came back and he said, "Okay, I'll be a team player." And then the next day he went home and came back and said, "I changed my mind. I can't." Wow! <laughs> so he left the show. 
So, uh, I mean, that's the only thing I just want. I mean, and we have just people who are ones who want the script advanced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the way it should be. It should be, you know, like a group effort that you have like the best interest. Let's create the best show possible. Um, You know, you'll always get like any work environment, people that are not fully seeing that pure vision and are maybe more ego driven or for other reasons. But, you know, especially in TV, it's a writer's room. It's a group effort. It's the band, you know, the writers of the band, everybody's playing their instrument. It should be, you know, like that kind of synced up joint effort. I'll say this too, because it comes up is uh, I've hired a lot of diverse writers and I wish there had been more. This year we have uh, eight scripts of the 22 we're doing written by women, and I'm trying to improve oh, that's it. great. And uh, I believe me, I'm totally, you know, in favor of reflecting the way America is in the writer's room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's take a quick break and, and try and guess which uh, Simpsons writer it was that quit. Uh, <laughs> I, well, I will not say his name publicly. <laughs> uh, oh, it's a he. Oh, uh, <laughs> really, it was? <laughs> so <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. Fairhaven's a city in a bubble, an actual bubble. It keeps the monsters out, most of them anyway. I never liked the look of movies on Blu-ray. For my money, Betamax is the superior format. I'm thinking of deleting Facebook and going back to MySpace. As far as beverages go, I'm just kind of over water. Though I guess at any given party, you're going to meet some dudes like that, even if you're not in the middle of a nightmarish wasteland. Bubble, the sci-fi comedy from MaximumFun.org. Just open your podcast app and search for Bubble. All right, we're back. We found out it was Conan O'Brien. That's so weird. You know what? I had a suspicion for a while. My dad did teach me to never trust tall people. (laughs) Why? Because they're going to die soon? (laughs) He says they never had to work for anything. My dad is five, seven and a half. Yeah, that's true. Never trust tall, pretty people like Conan (laughs) O'Brien. Conan, what I can tell you, was uh, when Dave Merkin took over, at that point, everybody was going... Not me. I always wanted to be on The Simpsons. But everybody's going, we want to work on some other show, get a big development deal, do our own thing. And he said, thank God I've got Conan O'Brien. I've got him locked up in a multi-year deal. You know, nothing will get rid of Conan O'Brien. And then he got that offer. And, right. you know, everybody, Dave included, said, well, you've got to let him. It's like Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Yeah. You've got to give him this opportunity. So uh, Jim Brooks did. I mean, so um, – Fox, I think, made him pay. It's Conan's very funny talking about it. Like, yeah. He had to like, give them three scripts or something. But uh, What ended up happening to Conan? Yeah, I haven't checked in he on is, him in a while. This is scary to me. He is now the oldest uh, talk show host. Wow, really? Is that real? 
Yes. Whoa. That makes I no sense. I know now that Letterman's out, you know, probably. Well, if you don't count Letterman, which I don't. Right. Yeah, yeah. no, no. Yeah, that Netflix thing doesn't count. <laughs> it's on late night. Uh, so Conan makes some appearances in The Critic. Yeah. Uh, which which are very fun. In the pilot, he shows up, mm-hmm. uh, at the very least, uh, when they're trying to get a nice table, and then Conan shows up. And they seat them in the critic section. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd love to just hear some of the favorite moments you have uh, within the show. Uh, and, and also, for, for people that haven't seen it, do you think it's essential to watch it in order? Or what's a good episode to start if people haven't seen it before, do you think? Uh, I would say, like, the two pilots, the first and the second season pilot, are good. And then the other one I, I was going to mention, Siskel and Ebert, Jim Brooks had the idea, let's get them to play themselves. Mm-hmm. And so we did a thing where they broke up and each had Jay as a partner. And, of course, like a rom-com, he decided, no, they're better with each other. And I'm going to reunite them <laughs> on a, yeah. Empire State Building like Sleepless in Seattle. So I got the honor. I got mm-hmm. to fly to Chicago to direct both of them. And this is the way it worked. I would get a little take from each of them, and then Gene would go, who was better? And I would go, oh, you were both wonderful. You know, like a grandma. Yeah. Oh, who, I, can I pick between you? No, Al, who was better? And Roger would go, yeah, who was better? And so now that they passed, I can say Roger was a little better. <laughs> Roger Ebert was my favorite film critic. I went to Roger school Ebert's for film studies, and he was my guy. My cousin took his class, and uh, you saw the documentary about him, right? So yes, of course. Good. And, I read and, the, the book. and I read the book. The book is amazing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Now, wonderful, interesting story and, and influenced many people. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and the stories about how they really did hate. <laughs> I know. Really funny. But in a, uh, yes, but in a way that in, in, they knew they were pushing each other to be better. Well, then, then they were in love. You know, I mean, then right. the, the whole thing is, is made me cry. It really did. Yeah. 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 Uh, if you guys haven't seen that. Uh, life uh, Itself. Yeah, Life Itself. Uh, if you haven't seen the documentary, see it. But also, at the very least, just YouTube some outtakes of, yes. of the two of them. Uh, you'll get some very snide, like, snarky, mean little banter in between their takes. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny. Yeah. There's a story about Gene sneaking a, a note to Roger on the plane as if somebody was saying how great Roger was. The pilot said, please come to the cockpit. We think you're the best. And as he's heading to the cockpit, Gene goes, I wrote the note. <laughs> <laughs> really what funny. a sitcom beat. That's really that. funny. The um, Roger Ebert story that really fucks me up, especially when I'm on deadline, is that I had heard that, you know, because he's such a talented writer, that he often at the Chicago Tribune would, um, or yeah, in Chicago sometimes, I'm mixing it up, he uh, would just be fucking around for like the full day the full work day smoking drinking doing whatever it's before he was sober and then in like the zero hour he would just crank out the most beautiful review <laughs> that would like get him a pulitzer or something think about that and go god damn you roger ebert it's it's really funny because again i have one to refer to the mary taylor more pilot as many times as it's possible it's one of the best pilots <laughs> yeah. ever but yeah at the end of it Lou comes to Mary's house. He's just interviewed her for a job. He's drunk. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I want to come in. I want to come into your house. And she thinks he wants her and actually wants to use her typewriter to write a letter to his wife. But I go, wait a minute. If I came in drunk to a, someone I interviewed and said, I'm using your typewriter. <laughs> like, that is like so world? me too. Like, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even the mild version that was the, you know, the sweet ending of the show. Like. That's so funny. <laughs> Times really change. Yeah. No, and I'm sure when you saw it, you go, oh, lovable Mr. Grant. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so kind of off of that, I mean, uh, we talked a little bit before we started recording about, like, some of the um, topical jokes that you guys have made in The Critic and, like, uh, how they've aged. What are 
I mean, you don't have to go into the cringiest ones, but what are ones that stand out to you that you go, oh, by? Well, yeah. one of the cringiest things to me, and this is, we should have even known better, is Woody Allen is hard to take. Right. You know, I've seen him in a serious documentary since then about Bob Hope. And, uh, you know, I remember when, and nobody's perfect, but I mean, you know, when I ran in the 92 trial, the judge said you can only have supervised custody with your daughter for an hour. Like, I thought, that's very odd. There must be something really weird. Mm-hmm. So now, I don't know why, like, it seemed to us funny that he was marrying a 16-year-old who had raised as a daughter. Right, <laughs> but, right. But, like, I can't, I can't watch it now. I can't, I, you know, that's yeah. a, that kind of thing. But, that, I mean, I think that's, look, you know, the world changes and you can't, I, I wish I could go back and change everything I did wrong and make it right. right. of course. Um, we just don't, you know, do that again. You know, we don't have the technology. <laughs> no. Well, but the problem is, let's say you do that. George Lucas tried it in Star Wars. Yeah. Boy, did they get mad. You know, like, mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm. Harrison Ford can't be the one who shot first. And, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. So right. th- it's funny because they have almost the reverse problem of The Simpsons, which is, unfortunately, their cast is passing away. So they're replacing them mm-hmm. with new characters that people are going, I don't care about any of these new characters. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we keep things the same, people go, oh, you should move into the new time. And, and Right. You can't win. You can't win. Yeah. Sort of. I mean, Especially I, you know, I don't want to do anything wrong. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But I, it's it's a tricky dynamic. People, it's what I said about canon. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. the things people have been maddest about, Matt Selman wrote a great episode where they were moved into the 90s. Right. And people... We talked to him about that. <laughs> yeah. No, it was great. I loved it. I approved it. And I thought, uh, you would have thought we had, like, killed people's pet dog <laughs> right. that, that what we had done in that episode. And, I, you know, there's ones, there's things I've seen where I haven't been surprised about controversy and there's things like that where i go wow where did that come from yeah i mean i I feel like especially when it comes to engaging with fans like especially something like as beloved as the simpsons on for as long as it is people growing up uh with those characters and feeling like they're extended members of their family you know there is that protectiveness to it but again like you say like how can you possibly continue writing stories without like stepping on someone's toes about ruining their childhood quote unquote it's like you have a job to do no and i also think just a prediction for example, in about 50 years, people think drunk driving isn't funny at all or that drinking right. isn't 100%. funny because yeah. uh, certainly horrible things happen because of drunk driving, but because you're going to have self-driving cars. Yeah. So I predict that'll be the thing where you'll look back because like now I did look back at that movie that's um, mentioned in Sleepless in Seattle, the war- uh, uh I think it's Warren Beatty and like everybody's smoking. And the funniest thing to me was he's on an ocean liner and he reads a note and he crumples it and he just throws it in the ocean. That's And like in the fifties, like, Hey, just throw things in the ocean. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, uh, I wonder. There's a great book by Chuck Klausterman um, called "But What If We're Wrong." That's all about. <laughs> yeah, I know it's so. I good. would just lose the butt. I, uh, <laughs> say, we are wrong. We are wrong. It, it is, I am it, always wrong. It's great. I don't Except know if you, of course when yeah. we are the Simpson Oracle, where we're always right. Uh, of course, <laughs> yeah. Somehow you're predicting everything that's happening. In the <laughs> How? I mean, well, so what's the feeling at the office about that? I mean, obviously you guys are not psychic, but is there like a playfulness that you're like, oh, look what we did again? I, I love the reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I categorize it in several different ways. I would say like the Trump prediction, which was in a Dan Graney script, although I'm yeah. not sure who uh, wrote the line. Neither is Dan. Um, Donald Trump was talking about running for president in the year 1999. So it wasn't the craziest joke. And it was a celebrity name that was known. So mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, it was a joke, but it wasn't the most insane joke. Yeah. One of the things that happened that it was insane was in the City of New York episode. There's a still I'm sure you've seen where it says. 
New York on $9 a day, and they have the trade towers, and it looks like a 9 11. Oh, yeah, that's but, right. I, but I remember reading that that was just being asked, like, well, why why nine? And she's like, because it's a funnier number. Yeah, <laughs> like, but, but that thing looks like that's crazy. It that is. aired in 98, 98, and, and, you know, but most of the predictions, like Lady Gaga was an example where they said, you, you predicted her act. I go, well, we stole her act. Yeah. <laughs> she did her act. Like, I go, oh, yeah, we predicted it. Like, right, right, you know, right. I mean, you know, yeah, we made it a little more acrobatic when she did. I think the person that she's influenced by was Pink, who said, great, I love it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, what's, you know, I don't know. So, but it, I think it's like a thought clock is right twice a day. It's like they would just say right. things right, and they come exactly. True. Yeah, it's also a numbers game, too. You, yeah. know, you guys are cranking out so many episodes, and, you know, you, your tone is commenting on pop culture and commenting on what's happening in the world. So, you know, it just like the math works out in that way. I went through a very, this just reminds me that I went through a weird month of my life where I kept referring to everything as a numbers game. <laughs> like, I just, like, I heard the phrase and was like, it's a numbers game. You watched game. the number 23 and it really resonated with you. <laughs> Uh, so what? <laughs> I'm just sorry. I'm imagining no, you it was finding the answers everywhere. It was you too were much. Truther. Uh, what? What about the critic? Uh, what freedoms did you have, or what are some things that you got to do in the critic that you maybe didn't get to do in the Simpsons uh, that that were particularly fun and enjoyable? Because it's it's your own show, you know. Yes, that was going to say the biggest freedom was. I was always conscious, and I'm always conscious of The Simpsons, that it's Matt's creation, you know, Jim and Sam, you know, were the other two that really integral. It's it's bigger than me. It'll, you know, if I vanished today, it would still be the same. It'd be huge. So I was always like, I'm, a, you know, the curator of the Gutenberg Bible. I don't want anything to happen to it. But the critic's <laughs> like, yeah, what the hell? <laughs> it's like That's Mike great. and I created it. If he didn't create it, it wouldn't have existed. So we were a little looser. Uh, but that did lead to me, like, you know, to look at stuff. I go, there's a silliness to certain things. or a, the, the cutaways, like, I thought we did get too, you, you know, used to them. Um, so I people will think I'm crazy, but I go, I think that the writing on the Simpsons, like say season 29 is sharper than the critic season two. And, you know, people will go, no, we love the critic. You know, Mm -hmm. the Simpsons is is the worst show on television. (laughs) And, and I go, no, I really don't think so. I really actually think that if you just took random aliens and showed them both, they might think that like they were more disciplined and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's crazy theory, but that's what I believe. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then the, the just the like the fact that the show revolves around a critic like I know a lot of film critics they're actually the people that I first became friends with in LA. Oh uh, wow, I didn't know huh. that. Yeah, well cuz this the, uh, so I write music Name that dropping. is <laughs> Yeah, I know. Critics. <laughs> is it is it really <laughs> Elvis Mitchell? Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, it was like the the first uh the when I was writing music and putting it out online like all of my songs were about movies. So I mm-hmm. had songs about like The Jerk and I had songs about like the special effects artist Rob Bottin and the only people who cared about that stuff were film critics, not right. music critics. So all of my stuff would get written up, but it was always on movie sites, and it led to me becoming friends with them, and it was just kind of like this very like fun world for me because I'm obsessed with movies, and I I like to talk to anybody who wants to talk about them at all, whether they're being negative or positive. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of like a fun world, and you know I think that. Uh, I think a lot of writers uh, maybe romanticize uh, film critics because they're the ones who would be yeah. giving them good reviews. But I love them because, like, in High Fidelity, there's this, like, he has a girlfriend who became a film critic. And I remember thinking, like, that's the coolest job in the world. I can't right. imagine anything cooler. And then you see Jay, who's just, like, you know, so uh, 
life as a real person so much like real critics in that they're like this you know kind of elite and kind of like you know all these things that maybe aren't desirable but it's just so charming how it comes together Mm -hmm. unlike a lot of film critics I know but I just thought it was so good and I was wondering if there were like specific you know aside from John Lovitz if there were specific things that formed that character it was just that Lovitz voice in our heads you know I mean and and actually the performance that uh, most influences was him in League of Their Own. You just, you He's know, so he good. was so funny and he was so sweet with the, the girls that were on the team. And um, what I was going to say is it's interesting because when we did the show, the whole joke was he made $700,000 a year. He was a television film critic. Mm-hmm. I believe the power of the individual film critic has been shattered. Oh, yeah. Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. I know. So if we were doing the show again, I would go, he would just be like, uh, nobody like just like trying to figure out how to get back in the game because mm-hmm. now it's just that number and the number is incredibly powerful you uh, we have a simpsons movie pool and and we vote on box office and you see when the rotten tomatoes comes out below 70 right yeah, like oh, yeah. they lose millions of dollars yeah i mean we don't have to go into uh the politics of that but there has been a lot of argument about like you know there's no accounting for nuance when it comes to a film critics uh review of a film and you know putting it into this weird number a numbers game, hey. if you will. Hey. Well, as a math major, I would say <laughs> if you have uh, all tens and all ones, which would be a movie maybe like Mother, yeah. which a lot of people hate, but is ambitious, that's going to get a five and nobody's going to go see it. Right. But a movie that's like all sevens, which is mediocre, yeah. people will go to see. And yes, it that's does upsetting. like a Stanley Kubrick kind of movie might not succeed in today's yeah. standards. Yeah, I tend to, because of that, like not religiously follow the, the number. However, uh, what do you have to say about Gotti starring John Travolta that's gotten a historic 0%? I was surprised because I just thought <laughs> him as John Gotti, and, you know, he does a great impression. I don't know why it's a zero. You know, yeah. it's something I some controversy that is there like... must be something I don't know about how it was made because he did battle yeah. battleship Earth I think and that was also really low. Yeah, there's there's, there's some rumors about him. <laughs> I cannot corroborate. What? <laughs> My hat just flew he, to the ceiling. He may not be the Vinnie Barbarino that you think him to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I mean, so going back to the critic and and him being a film critic in this world that we you know get treated to, it feels kind of like the opposite of Springfield, where we often talk about how Springfield is um, comprised mostly of inept adults. Whereas this New York that we're treated to is all more the intellectual crowd. I mean, we do get, you know, like the The New Yorker people. Yeah, the New Yorker people. No, that's quite true. Yeah. And one thing I think that helps make The Simpsons as popular as is is people like watching, like Woody Harrelson, who I'm sure is really bright in real life, but they... You know, character he did on Cheers and the yes. character he uh-huh. People the love best. somebody they know they're smarter than. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they know they're smarter than Homer. You know, they like seeing someone like Mr. Burns, even though he's awful, mm-hmm. trying to take advantage of Homer. It's a little harder in New York. I, and, you know, Jim said when they were doing, again, the Mary Tyler pile, <laughs> that they said there were three things you can't do. You can't do New York. Someone with a mustache or a divorcee, and he said, "There I am from Brooklyn with a mustache, just got divorced." <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> and they're looking at me. <laughs> Someone with a mustache was that a holdover from like old western silent movies? In 1970, there's no mustache guys on, on uh, except in westerns. What are television. they hiding? Huh. An upper lip? Well, <laughs> a secret? <laughs> Hitler had what? You know, I mean, like, right, he did right. a lot of bad good for oh, mustaches. Yeah, he did have a mustache. He did have a mustache. <laughs> yeah. That's right. 
I always called it a Michael Jordan mustache. Yeah. <laughs> I like that that's the one you're the most concerned about. <laughs> Not the anti-Semitism. <laughs> tomato, tomato, column A, column B. You know, we'll get to it. <laughs> we can't solve the world in this podcast episode, though we are trying actively. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit just about uh, the, the pilot. I love it so much. Um, mm-hmm. It's very... Well, the whole show is very sweet. It's very funny, obviously, but it's also got a lot of really sweet moments, too, yeah. which kind of surprised me rewatching it uh, as a grown up. Um, but I, I really love that. So, Jay dates uh, an actress who's mm-hmm. about to have her first ever like role. And it's really heartbreaking, really, because the two of them get along so well. She's way out of his league, mm-hmm. very uh, couldn't care less about the very handsome actor friend. Uh, right. And uh, it's just very charming and lovely. And then she, her acting is so bad that he has to kind of, you know, be, he has integrity and he has to take this job seriously and say, like, as much as I liked her and as, you know, many people started out bad and got good, she just wasn't that good in this. Right, and it, right. It, 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 it's very, uh, it's hard to watch and I love it. It's very like, oh, that's so hard for him. I really feel so bad for him because... I would have thought less of him had he just thrown her a bone because he was dating her. Like, that's right. not what you do in that type of job. And I thought it was, like, such a good way to, to show us who he is. Mm-hmm. Although some would say that that was despicable. I think many would say that's what makes him a good character, like a good right. person by, you know, I, I would that. also say he's a little bit like the Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm where he cannot – lie about that you cannot yeah. say something is bad a good when it's bad yeah mm-hmm. and there are certain people like that like no matter how good it'll be for their lives they just will not tell right you know, a lie. right but different than larry david which curb we can talk about for hours but um you know he i like that he still has moral integrity in that or i guess maybe professional integrity is more what it is i've heard uh that um people who are on the autistic spectrum really love it because he says things that People think, like, why is this oh, difficult? Yeah. Like, why do they make packages so hard to open? That's awful. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's true. Nobody, like, says anything and he doesn't, you know, and, like, it looks weird that he's going so crazy over it. But it's true. Why are they so hard to open, you know? It's yeah. Like, For Larry David? Yeah. That's really interesting. I yeah, mean, it I makes mean, sense to me. That makes sense to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> why are people showing up to parties a day late and claiming that they thought it was? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so this show and uh, the Larry Sanders show, I think, are like a perfect like back-to-back uh, insight into into that type of world. Even though mm-hmm. one is in LA and one is in New York, one is uh, one side of the industry, one is the yeah, other. If you like those two, I have a show for you. <laughs> it's called the Gary Channel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Written by all the same people. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> you were great in that doc, by the way. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, you Gary Mike... was. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. He was. He was. Um, as you could see, a really troubled man, and I had yeah. some clue about it. Horrible tragedy in his life. And what was good about him was um, he would we'd be making fun of him. Go, oh, God, I can't stand it. We're here at midnight. And then you go, I'm coming upstairs. Stop making fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> like he knew. And he go, yeah. I, you know, he wouldn't, he, he, you could do, like, I remember one time I was pitching to him and he had, dark sunglasses and he was reading a sharper image catalog and I'm like uh, excuse me I'm trying to help your show yeah. <laughs> like yo okay I'm sorry and so right. there wasn't you know a humanity to him that was you know despite like the craziness and, you know yeah. it was a very accurate portrait yeah, and you got that, and I'm so glad that it was a two-parter. And yeah, I had love as that much doc. as it did. And I yeah. didn't know the mother stuff. We actually wrote a show about his mother, and I the the weirdness of it 
Right. It's like, wow, that's really, really bizarre. She came to the set once. and Yeah. Yeah. I think that was featured in the documentary a little yeah. bit. Yeah. <sighs> Do you, uh, we're, we're closing up the show. Do you have any, um, I mean, we could, we could go as, as long as we choose, but uh, it's been around an hour. I'm wondering if you just have any uh, closing thoughts on the show itself, uh, on The Critic, um, and then if there are any kind of like maybe lessons from the show itself or your experience on the show that you could kind of share with us. Well, uh, this is something William Shatner said about Star Trek. He was told it was dead five times. And, of course, it's you know more alive than ever right now. And uh, if you believe in something and you really love it, you know, it might still get a chance. It might, you know, I'm astounded and, and thrilled that people still like the that I'm doing a show talking about yeah, right now. Yeah. And uh, you just got to, you know, try to write something that you really think is good for yourself and it may not work the second time or the third or the fifth in our case. <laughs> yeah. but, but you find people that really love it. And um, and what's great about today's universe is there are so many avenues and so many ways for people to discover something that it's, it's so gratifying. I, I never would have dreamt I never would have dreamt I'd still be on The Simpsons or that I'd be talking mm-hmm. about The Critic at this point, you know, yeah. to people who clearly know it as well as you guys. Oh, yay. Yeah. That's great. I love that. I yeah. mean, yeah, that's something that I try to do in my own life of like, um, you know, just do the things that really resonate with you and stuff that you want to do because then even if you're getting rejected from all these different people and door slamming in your face that you'll eventually find the door where people go, oh, I speak the same language as you or I get it, I see it. Don't forget, Star Wars and E.T. were both rejected by the first studio right, they were of pitched course. to. That's so yeah. important to remember. It should yeah. be written like on everyone's mirror yes. <laughs> like as they're getting ready. <laughs> I know. Today I will go and write that in lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Al, thank you so much My for pleasure. coming on the show this oh, has been so great yeah, uh, real is there anything that you want to plug or let people know where to find you online or do you want to keep people well, I'm away? on twitter and <laughs> <laughs> season, season 30 of the simpsons debuts season september 30 yep. uh, holy crap uh there's a lot of great episodes coming up i mean i say that every year but there's you yeah. know there's some really cool ones and uh thank everybody i mean if enough for everybody that listens and watches we wouldn't be here so thank you yeah yeah and you have um our, we're friends with Megan Amram. She, I think, is writing. Her, her on... script was just, she has two. One was just read, and I'm uh, producing another one that she's oh, doing. Oh, she's great. She's fantastic. The best. Very funny. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Al. Uh, Julia, where can people find you? Oh, thanks so much for asking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at Julia Prescott on all the things. Allie, where can people find you? Oh, thank you so much for asking. You can find me at <laughs> Allie Gertz. You can find us at Simpsons Pod and all the things. Yeah. And um, yeah, email us. Uh, we're bad at, at the email replies, but still email us. Everything's coming up <laughs> Simpsons at gmail.com. And stay tuned for, we're going to do some live shows. So. We also have a book coming out oh, soon. Yeah, we have a book. Uh, buy our book. <laughs> buy our book. <laughs> to quote yeah. the critic. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, that was actually one of the most exciting things for both of us, just being like, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but buy my book. <laughs> well, you've got to get the wa- the mechanical. I know. <laughs> We're working on it. I'm talking to a guy who knows a guy. Uh, so, yes, everything's our- coming up. Uh, Ackham is a Max Fun production produced by Jesus Ambrosio. And our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Swish. All right. Smell you later. Wait, we have to change it. We have to change Uh, it. All right. What's a good goodbye line for Jay? Uh, We'll be on another network soon. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. All right. Goodbye. Bye. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.